0: Welcome to Your Province, Your Premier. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator. The show being broadcast on 770 CHQR right here in Calgary and in Edmonton on 630 CHED. Every Saturday morning at this time, I'll be speaking with Premier Jason Kenney about some of the issues of the day. But this is really your opportunity to ask questions of the Premier, voice your concerns, or raise issues that you feel need to be addressed. Whatever's on your mind, you can speak with the Premier one-on-one. Just remember to keep it short and respectful, and please be patient. We get a lot of calls and texts. You may be on hold for several minutes. And please keep those text messages short as well. There are a lot of them. And, quite frankly, I don't have time to read a novel. So keep them short, and I'll try to get to as many as I can. Premier Kenny wants to hear from you. You can call or text 403-974-8255 in Calgary and Edmonton 780-496-0063 and across the province 1-800-563-7770. Premier Kenny, welcome to the show. Great to be back, Wayne. Now, last week we kicked off our show with a discussion on electricity rates. Any update on when Albertans can expect to see those rate rebates? Yeah, we've uh, just passed the legislation,
1: and so the we're working with electricity companies to get that on people's bills, uh, hopefully next month. Um, and uh, there's, I think, 40-some of these retailers. Uh, they have to pass it on through the uh, people's bill, and they'll do that automatically.
0: All right. Now, speaking of rates, auto insurance rates have been in the news lately. First, in a government report issued about a couple of weeks ago, and then in another study. NDP leader Rachel Notley says rates have risen substantially since the NDP cap on premiums expired in 2019. And yesterday, she reiterated her call for a one-year rate freeze on premiums. Now, I've got two or three related questions on this subject. Sure. First, uh, Notley has already started the unofficial election campaign by asking for a rate cap Until the next election, at least that's an indication to me that the NDP expects to regain power. Just last night, I received an automated phone survey call from the NDP outlining their platform in brief and asking if I would support them in the next election. And that, coupled with an NDP pledge to revitalize downtown Calgary, if elected, says to me, it's on. The unofficial election campaign, for the NDP at least, is underway. What about the UCP? Your government has recently announced a number of programs, many with increased funding announcements. So does that mean it's also uh, election-style campaigning for the UCP?
1: No, absolutely not. I mean, look, political parties are going to reach out and communicate with people and release policies. Nothing uh, extraordinary about that, Wayne. Uh, in, but the next election will be the third Monday of May, 2023. We put that in law so that the government can't play around with it to their advantage. So we've kept our uh, commitment, part of our big democratic reform package, to establish very clearly when the next election date is, and it's more than a year from now. So yeah, people can expect to hear from uh, uh, political parties between now and then. That's what happens in a in a democracy. But um, I think uh, uh, most people are just <laughs> focused on getting on with their with their lives post COVID, and uh, I hope starting to experience the benefits of a booming economy.
0: All right. Now, getting back to this uh, auto insurance rates, at a news conference last week, you raised a. The specter of public auto insurance in Alberta, if the NDP was elected. And you were quoted as referring to public auto insurance as a kind of Soviet style.
1: Do you regret your choice of words? No, I meant by that very specifically, uh, that in a Soviet economy, you have no choice. Uh, the government chooses for you. And that's what happens when you have a government monopoly in the provision of a service. And um, And so I, 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 we've tried that in, in economic history. It does not work well. Uh, Albertans, You know, Alberta, part of our uh, belief is in competition, choice, freedom, free markets, uh, because we understand that in the long run, competition does better than government monopolies at being responsive to people. It doesn't always mean prices are going to be what we want them to be. But if we start getting back into micromanaging that market, here's what will happen. Just like last time, a bunch of market players will just leave Alberta. There will be less choice. It'll be harder to get comprehensive insurance. What happened uh, four, th- four and five years ago was it was hard to, some people had to pay 100% of their premiums up front. Um, so, you know, you know, we have to look at this intelligently. The, the, cha- the problem has been a huge growth in the uh, personal injury payouts. Um, and so that's why we brought in legislation last year that's starting to have an impact by limiting some of those uh, soft tissue awards uh, through personal injury cases. Ralph Klein did exactly this uh, back about 20-some years ago. Um, the um, personal injuries lawyers did their job. This is not criticism. They did what they're supposed to do. They found a way around that. And so we brought in some additional restrictions on what those awards can be. That has limited the payout side. And so now we're starting to see
0: uh, premiums come uh, stabilize and come down. And in January, of course, we saw the direct compensation part taking effect for motorists as well. At the end of the year, when you look back at at the impact of Bill 41, because this whole thing falls under that umbrella, what will your response be? Will it have been enough to help bring down costs? Uh, I hope so. I mean, I, I do know that seven
1: uh, auto insurance companies have uh, made applications to reduce rates. AMA has reduced them, I think by seven point four percent, and that should be a market se- a trend because people need to shop around and if business this is how the market works. If one company like AMA reduces rates by seven point four percent and others don 't follow they 're going to lose their uh, market share so that 's the kind of market dynamic we we want to want to see as opposed to people having absolutely no choice. Uh, if you think that uh, that that the BC solution is it, BC has got the right solution, uh, just talk to some friends over there. Uh, people are never happy with uh, the the single BC
0: uh, auto insurance model either. All right, let's go to the phones now, and we'll start off with Ron. Uh, he's got a question on climate change. Go ahead, Ron. You're on with Premier Kenny.
2: Yeah, Buenos dias, senor. Buenos dias. I was dias. in Havana. Well, bo- 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 I need bo- bo- to do a bo- little bo- preamble. I was in Havana just before COVID and I had quite a nostalgic experience seeing all those 1950s cars driving around. I'd forgotten how um, black the exhaust and how smelly it was when they were started up. So actually we've come a long way with car emissions. That got me thinking about all the emphasis on buying expensive taxpayer subsidized electric vehicles and how much environmental damage their manufacturing actually includes, fossil fuel mining, machinery, new roads, a massive new electrical grid. So my question is, are there any post-secondary institutions left in Alberta who would have the courage to fund research on a cost-benefit analysis of maintaining and buying used cars instead of subsidizing new electrical vehicles. I believe research grants are only being approved for one side of the climate change debate. Hmm. And finally, go Flames, go, and Sutter we trust.
0: <laughs> right. Um, you got a lot there, Ron.
1: So. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Muchos gracias de la question, Ron. Thank you very much for the question. Um, I hope, hope you had a good trip. Uh, on the first point, uh, look, Alberta doesn't subsidize any of that, and uh, I don't believe in, in those subsidies. In fact, you know, we when we scrapped the NDP carbon tax after our election in the spring of uh, 2019... Uh, We took away all the, what I think are our dumb subsidy programs that that was funding. Um, And you know what the feds are really doing with their big subsidies for electric vehicles is subsidizing choices for pretty wealthy people. You have to be pretty high up on the income spectrum to be able to go out there and afford a a Tesla. And uh, that is a upward distribution of income from working people who can't afford it to pretty well-off people who can um, and, uh, I, I, just don't think that's, that, that makes any sense, uh, but you, you've made some good points there.
0: All right. We're going to take a quick break here. Um, I'm Wayne Nelson. I'll be back with premier Jason Kenney and more of your calls and texts when we return on your province, your premier. Welcome back. Your province, your premier airs every Saturday morning at this time from 10 until 11 throughout Alberta, here in Calgary on 770 CHQR and in Edmonton on 630 CHED. I'm Wayne Nelson, your host and moderator, and this is your opportunity to voice your concerns, address issues you feel are important to speak with the premier one-on-one. In Calgary, the number is 403-974-8255. And Edmonton, 780-496-0063. Across the province, 1-800-563-7770. You can call or text those numbers. We'll go right back to the phones now. Derek is calling in from uh, Edmonton. Actually, Derek, we're going to hit you second. I want to talk to Curtis first. Curtis has a question about LRT. Go ahead, Curtis. You're on with Premier Kenny.
2: Thank you. Uh, Hi, Premier. I'm a big supporter of yours. Uh, My question is about LRTs and commuter trains in Alberta. Uh, First off, I'd like to say I appreciate the total $159 million in funding to get our transit systems back to where they were pre-COVID. However, Premier, instead of millions of dollars, we need billions of dollars invested into current and future LRT projects, especially to and from our airports. Uh, We also need a train from Calgary to Banff and a train connecting Edmonton and Calgary. Does a UCP government acknowledge the power trains and LRTs have in unlocking our cities and economy? And will a UCP government give the significant investment into trains our two major cities so desperately need?
1: Okay, thanks, Curtis. A well-thought-out question, and clearly To your a train buff. Uh, on the question of LRTs, um, we the Alberta government is making very major investments in both uh, the, two, uh, the Green Line in Calgary and the West Line expansion uh, in Edmonton. Um, I think between the two, our con- capital contribution is um, well over $2.5 billion, uh, which is uh, critical to having those projects proceed. On the question of uh, Calgary Banff, we have been working with the proponents of the Calgary Banff uh, potential uh, rail service for uh, commuter or and passenger rail service. And um, right now, there's another study being done. I know that the Canada Infrastructure Bank is engaged. Uh, like with all of these projects, Curtis, you'll understand that they have to be uh, viable in, in, term, in market terms, and, and we can't put... Taxpayers on the hook for a thirty or forty-year operating subsidy if there is not going to be adequate ridership to justify it. But I mean, I, I like the concept of Calgary to Banff, but the, we have the economics have to work, and that applies as well to <clears throat> the uh, proposed uh, Calgary to Edmonton high-speed rail. Uh, and uh, there is a project called Prairie Link. If you if you're not familiar, you can look it up online. And uh, Ellis Don, which is a major international. Uh, construction firm and engineering firm they are quite advanced in planning for that and they're not asking for any public subsidies they're just asking for some regulatory uh, cooperation from us which we're giving them so i meet with them fairly frequently and so uh, yeah we we're in favor of those all of those projects uh, the latter two in principle but um, you know we're always we have to as, at the same time protect uh, the interest of taxpayers when it comes to
0: any potential investments all right uh as promised we'll hit uh, derek in edmonton you're on derek go ahead
3: Hi there, Premier Kenny. Um, So I wanted to ask you why, when regular everyday citizens are getting
2: fines for multiple breaches of COVID violations, you did not
3: get any kind of a fine or even talked to by authorities about your multiple breaches of COVID violations.
1: Well, uh, thanks, Derek, I don't. I'm not aware of multiple breaches of COVID violations. I certainly tried uh, throughout to respect the rules. I think you're maybe referring to one event we had outside when there was a rule uh, that you could do socializing for up to ten, or is it up to ten or fifteen people outside? We had uh, six people for a business dinner, uh, and uh, outside. Uh, We, I I believe that it was compliant with the rules. Some people said, well, you weren't um, exactly two meters distance between each other. We went out and measured the chairs. And in fact, we were like 1.8 meters distance between each other. So uh, I I think we made a, a, absolutely made an effort to comply with both the letter and the spirit of the rules. Uh, I don't think anybody and not 4.5 million people were in 100% perfect compliance the whole time. Uh, What we
0: asked was people to make an effort and I certainly have. All right, uh, text line now. This one from, you don't have a name. Uh, Mr. Premier, now we don't have to put on new stickers for our registration renewal on license plates. Are you coming out with white stickers to put on top of the old year numbers to help clean our plates up?
1: Um, actually, we've just changed that. So uh, it's, a, it's um,
0: let, me, let, me, let me get back to you on that. I'm not, could you repeat the question? Well, we don't have to put on new stickers for our registration right. renewal. Are you coming out with white stickers to put on top of the old year numbers? That's a good I don't know the answer. I'll I'll get back to you. All right. Uh go to the phones now and uh, next up is uh Justin, uh Justin calling from Edmonton. Go ahead, Justin.
4: Hi Premier. Um so um, the federal government has lifted um, our equivalent of Title 42 and is now allowed, has reinstated the loophole in the Safe Third Country Agreement to allow illegal immigrants from, uh, from America to come here. Uh, what, so what can the provincial government do to make sure that these people won't be a problem
1: yeah, thanks, Justin. That, uh, that's bad news in my view. I it frustrates me because as Minister of Immigration, I was trying to close the loopholes that existed between Canada and U.S. and the Safe Third Country Agreement, just so people understand. This is an agreement signed actually by the Khrushchev government, uh, which says that uh, if a... Um, somebody coming to a port of entry, a Canadian border crossing from the United States is making an asylum claim. We refer them back to the United States. You don't get to asylum shop. One of the principles of the United Nations... A convention on refugees is you seek protection in the first country to which you flee. So if you're a Mexican, Central American, you're you're in, uh, say, uh, the United States. Your uh, legal obligation is to make an asylum clear there, claim there, not kind of do a refu- uh, an asylum shopping move by coming north of the border. So Cretchen signed an agreement to put those people back into the U.S. system. There were some loopholes uh, that I worked on closing, and uh, what this tells me is that is that the Cretchen government doesn't really care about. Th- or, sorry, the uh, Trudeau. government. Government doesn't really care about the integrity of the system and my point is this if we want to main, maintain uh, a public consensus in favor of generous immigration policy to Canada then we must maintain the integrity of our borders if people get the sense that you can sneak in the country through the back door by breaking our laws, that undermines public confidence in the integrity of our immigration system. And that's a ba- that's what's happened in the U.S. It's what's happened in Europe. That's what's led to the backlash against legal immigration. So I think it's a very bad move on the part of the Trudeau government.
0: Stephen uh, has a question on demerit points.
3: Yes, I have two questions, if I could please. Uh, and uh, first of all... Uh... Premier, thank you for uh, the hard work that you've been doing on behalf of Albertans prior to COVID with respect to our oil. And badly for Alberta, uh, you know, for the issues of landlocking our oil and strategies. Uh, I think uh, with what's going on with the, the COVID in the n- last number of months, uh, uh, hardworking Albertans have have not the time to digest where where, where you were at before COVID hit. Yeah, Uh, And I really want to thank you for, uh, I hope you can pick up the ball uh, going forward here and get get right, clear path where you were before, because that truly is uh, the most important issue, uh, or is right Mm -hmm. up there the most important issue. Um, So uh, I almost choked my coffee the other day when I heard that we were importing Russian oil uh, as, as far as 2019. That was Mr. Trudeau's comment. The last boat from Russia came in in 2019. I never knew we were taking it. Uh, from from Russia in the first place, so we really need to get back on that. And um, on behalf of Albertans that, and people that I know, I'd like to thank you for that effort and remind Albertans uh, of the direction you were going before this hit. And and uh, good luck with that, sir. They, they, okay, now, the, oh, the go comment ahead, Stephen. On the, yeah. The uh, in, the uh, the question I have is: It seems that the insurance companies have a double standard when it comes to demerit points, and I became aware of this one. I unfortunately had a speeding ticket, and uh, uh, when I went to pay my insurance, I realized that uh, the database for the government Alberta allows the, the merit points to fall off uh, after two years. Now so I'm not in a, I have a good driving record. I have one one ticket, three three demerit points, so uh, it fell off the system uh, with the Alberta government. But it seems that the insurance companies have lobbied. Uh, and got their way with policies that will allow them to uh, continue charging for demerit points for another year. So, uh, if you fall off, uh, uh, if you say this today, you had a ticket two years today. Uh, that ticket and yeah. those demerits would fall off. So, and then you go to get your insurance. Sure. And your your you question, Stephen? Yeah. Uh, uh, are, the question is, uh, can you? Is it in your uh, understanding? First of all, are you aware of this? And then. Uh, if um, checking what I see is true, which it is, um, uh, would you implement a policy that would uh, make the insurance companies uh, uh, put in the same statutes and, and regulations as our Alberta government, a Motor Vehicle Act does? All
0: right. So Thanks, Stephen. I've got
1: to cut right. you off. You're... <laughs> okay. Sorry, Stephen. There was a lot All there. Right. there, was a lot there. Uh, I'm going to have to, to look into that. I do know that they... The insurance companies are limited to... Um, the debarment points, of course, uh, disappear off your record after three years. Uh, they are permitted to um, uh, mark up your risk premium uh, if you have traffic tickets. Photo radar tickets don't uh, count towards that because they're not sure who the driver is. Um, but uh, I can understand that uh, one way of assessing risk for drivers is is the frequency of, um, of, of traffic violations. Uh, But let me let me I'm going to take a transcript of your question, look into it Uh, on the earlier point. I just wanted to point out, Stephen, that uh, we didn't down tools during covid. In fact, we sat more as a legislature than any in Canada, far more than the federal parliament. It, because, we, you know, we we kept our nose to the grindstone. And a lot of people didn't notice that. We were all completely focused on COVID, especially the media. But, you know, we that's why now, three years into this term, we've completed implementation of nearly 90% of our 375 platform commitments. And I would argue that a lot of those policies built the foundation of the economic recovery and diversification we're seeing now.
0: All right. Uh, text message now from Steve in Edmonton. Mr. Kenny, why are you not following uh, Premier Ford's lead in abolishing vehicle license fees.
1: Well, uh, what he he's done that as a cost of living uh, uh, policy, w- which I can understand. What he has not done is to eliminate the Ontario fuel tax. We've gone much bigger and deeper than Ontario has in providing um, for... Relief of uh, for people facing inflation and energy costs. So we have suspended the uh, collection of Alberta's fuel tax. That's thirteen cents a liter. We're also providing a uh, six dollar and fifty cent cap on. Uh, natural gas prices, and uh, that kicks in now. The prices are over six fifty, and the hundred and fifty dollar rebate on electricity. So altogether, our package of uh, cost of living support is in the range of about two billion dollars on an annual basis, which is way, way more than Ontario is providing, uh, right.
0: even if you include their uh, car registration holiday. Okay, back to the phones. Uh, Diane has a question on renting prices. Yeah, uh,
5: thank you very much. Uh... Premier, for taking these calls and doing this uh, weekly. Um, In the last two weeks, major uh, Calgarians in particular, but Albertans, have been on QR shows uh, complaining about the heavy increase all of a sudden because the policy changed approximately five to seven years ago where there was a cap on how much a landlord or a rental company could increase their rental fees and all of a sudden it's no longer there people are getting 800 to a thousand dollar increase on a two-bedroom or three-bedroom thousand square foot home and this is ridiculous i mean i couldn't believe it until i looked it up when qr first had the story on showing that the policy had changed and landlords could charge whatever they want in the last five years major companies because I did some research, major companies have bought the properties here in Calgary in particular who are outside the province, such as Vancouver and Toronto, mostly B.C., and they have huge amounts of property that they're renting here, and all of a sudden they have hit so many people that QR callers are telling people they're going to be living on the street in two months. All
1: right, good question, Could Diane. Could put I'm... that
5: back on the cap?
1: Well, thanks, thanks, Diane. Uh, and uh, Diane... Uh, uh, I hear the concern for sure because housing affordability is always an issue. And what, what we're going through now is uh, an economic boom. More and more people are coming to Alberta. Uh, and our real estate market uh, fell well behind the Canadian market. And frankly, that was, I think, a good thing uh, because over the past um at many several years, uh, housing prices have, have more than doubled in Ontario and BC, uh, but they still stayed relatively flat in Alberta uh, because of the downturn. Now we're recovering, and we're seeing that in a big way in the real estate market. That's reflected both in um, in home buying, but also in in the rental market. So there, it, we are uh, uh, going to see some inflation in housing costs here, and we've we've got to to help people address that. We hope at the same time there will be a in inflation in people's incomes uh, to uh, to address uh, the rising cost of living. I'm not aware of Alberta ever having had uh, rent controls in the past. I think your your statement implied that there was rent controls that was lifted, not by this government. I don't think we've had rent controls in the past. They were not introduced by the NDP either. Um, There is a requirement under the Residential Tenancies Act that uh, landlords can only increase uh, rents once every year, and they have to give people adequate notice. Uh, It establishes a range of rights and responsibilities for landlords and tenants in Alberta. Um, So uh, let me look more into this issue, but I I do think that uh, what we're seeing now is, frankly, the real estate market in Alberta is starting to catch up a little bit with the rest of the country because of economic and population growth here. And and, uh, unfortunately, that's going to... uh,
0: to mean, for people in the rental market,
1: uh, higher higher prices.
0: Text message now, with your just-stated understanding of Albertans' love of competition, free choice, free markets, and freedom in general, and your promise of red tape reduction, why are you not removing the Calgary Metropolitan Regional Board that gives power to the City of Calgary to veto any of its eight mandated rural members' initiatives? Uh, Well
1: that is an issue that uh, Minister of Municipal Affairs brick McIver, has been working at together with the municipalities uh, recently he released uh, the Wheatland County from the uh, from the control if you will or the Aegis of the Calgary Regional Municipal Board uh, the reality is that the vast majority of municipalities in the uh, that area support the board and the planning process that it went through I know that there are a couple of rural ones who who don't and I believe me I'm very sympathetic to their concerns about being limited in development and growth um, I would very much hope that the Calgary board could operate more like the one in Edmonton and uh, when I visit with the municipalities that surround Edmonton they're generally pretty happy they don't feel like they get um, uh, they get um, uh, strong-armed by the big city of Edmonton, uh, uh, so we clearly need, need a better working relationship here. I think there is a need for uh, some kind of sh- shared planning process, uh, but it, it it shouldn't block unreasonably development. And that's so Rick McIver working away at trying to find a solution to that.
0: All right, uh, Sarah is calling from Edmonton, and uh, this is on the current school curriculum plan. Hot topic. Go ahead, Sarah. You're on the air.
6: Hi. So, yeah, my question is about the the curriculum. Um, I am curious as to why uh, the UCP keeps saying that the the old curriculum um, was filled with NDP propaganda. When it was the PC party that actually wrote that curriculum, um, the only thing the NDP had changed was the math math curriculum because the students were scoring so low in Alberta but every other um, um, thing they were scoring high in. Um, and even your own first committee that you put together to review that that curriculum said that there was no NDP propaganda. So I'm just curious as to why... Um. Um. this lie keeps getting
0: said. Alright, before you answer Mr. Premier t- uh, related text message on that why does this government continue to try and push a flawed curriculum that has little to no support? What will you do in the future to assure Albertans that you actually listen to their concerns? Okay, so a couple questions there. One from uh, Sarah from the phone line and one from a, on a related text message. Sure, uh, Sarah,
1: uh, you know I think there's a misunderstanding because my critique of the proposed NDP curriculum was not about the a curriculum that that is being taught in the schools now, although I think it is uh, insufficient in many areas. Um, but but rather, what they were proposing to do, they went through a process uh, over the term of government uh, for for a new K to six curriculum. They uh, released uh, scope documents, which are basically high level plans for quite dramatic changes to the curriculum. And and when you hear my critique about their planned curriculum, it's it's referring to what they intended to implement, we got a mandate to put the pause button on that, go back and more broadly and openly consult with people to come up with a curriculum, a revised curriculum, uh, that would be modernized and would uh, adopt tried, true, and tested teaching methods uh, to help improve outcomes, particularly for math and uh, reading proficiency, as well in, in this area of social studies to ensure broad civic and cultural literacy. So uh, that's what we are working on now. Um, I, I think there is a consensus in Alberta politics across the spectrum that we do need to update and modernize the curriculum. On that, we in the NDP agree. We just, disagree on how exactly to do it on the on the second question the text question uh we're actually involved i think in the most exhaustive uh, consultation process there's ever been and and in fact um you know people had concerns about too much change too quickly uh teachers and school boards were concerned that uh, adopting whole entirely new curricula in each subject from K to 6 would just be too much for teachers to absorb and be able to implement. And that's why we have a basic gone at a much slower rate. We've decided in next year only to implement updates in the uh, language arts and math plus um, uh, wellness curricula. And leave the other subjects for the next year. And in fact, now we're only going through K to 3. So we're going at a much slower pace. Uh, and taking on board consult, we've already made significant changes from the original draft that was released about uh, fourteen months ago, and more cha- yet more changes will be incorporated based on the constructive feedback that we received all right uh, but can I just say when it's not true to say nobody supports this. you know uh, professor Vladimir Trotsky, a brilliant um Professor of mathematics at the University of Alberta has, uh, he and others have endorsed uh, the strong new math math curriculum here. Uh, Professor uh, Georgiou at the University of Alberta, one of the world's leading and an award winning expert on uh, literacy. In in the education system, helped to write this curriculum and has endorsed these changes, and many others, many other experts. Um, This has been trialed in the Fort Vermilion School District, and they found a massive gain in reading and math outcomes uh, amongst the elementary students for whom it was trialed. So I'd ask people not just to listen to one or two special interest groups, but actually go online and read it yourself and, and get some independent views.
0: Back to the phones. We'll switch topics. Coal mines in the Crowsnest Pass, Carmen. You're on the air with Premier Kenny. Carmen, are you there? Go ahead.
6: Hi there. Thank you, Premier uh, Kenny, for taking my question. Um, as you know, metallurgical coal is needed to produce the, the steel for the green infrastructure, including electrical electric vehicles, wind turbines, and solar panels. We can't go green without the need for met coal, um, and we can re develop our resources responsibly, and we need it for our economics, especially during the crisis past Alberta and, and Canada. And I'm wondering why this isn't, um, why we're listening to the other side and, and you're not listening to the people that want coal.
1: Oh, well, thank you very much, Carmen. I certainly am listening. In fact, um, normally what I get criticized for is listening too much to people who support a responsible coal development. Uh, the reality is you're, you're, you're bang on, Carmen, that the world needs metallurgical coal, that steel-making coal. You can't operate a modern economy here or anywhere else without steel. And uh, so, it, it, in fact, there's a growing global demand for metallurgical coal. Uh, which is provided in part by some Alberta met coal mines, including up around the Grand Cache area. Um, but there is, certainly in B.C., I think they have um, upwards of 12 metallurgical coal mines in B.C. Uh, and so uh, you know I, I, I've consistently defended the need for responsible coal development, uh, partly for those reasons. And the history of responsible coal mining in Alberta. Now, having said that, the recent uh, application uh, down in the Crow's Nest Pass area for um, restarting a a dormant mine went through a joint federal-provincial environmental review panel. That is an independent, arm's-length, quasi-judicial tribunal. We cannot politically interfere in that. They came back and said that the environmental concerns outweigh the prospective economic benefits. So that is the regulatory process. Uh, and we've also just reconfirmed that we won't be accepting applications for either thermal or met coal projects in areas that have particularly sensitive ecosystems like around the, some of the headwaters of the eastern slopes, but we do support responsible resource development in principle. That's the difference between us and the NDP that want to completely shut down all coal mining in Alberta, even with a 140 year history and even though there's a huge global
0: need for this product. All right, Text line, uh, this is I believe it's Darcy from Edmonton. When are they going to pave the Peerless Lake Highway six eighty six? We've only been waiting thirty five years.
1: Um, I'll have to get back to Darcy on that. I must confess, I don't have a the, the provincial capital plan in front of me for every single road. Uh, but we are investing a lot. I think about $2 billion a year in highway maintenance and repair. Uh, we're maintaining your record levels of investment in that. It's never enough. I'll tell you this. Alberta in the 70s, when we were rolling in in big oil money back in those days, uh, paved a lot, you know, pretty much all of our secondary roads, unlike other provinces. And so we've got a bigger network. We have more paved road per capita than any Canadian province. So we have a bigger network to maintain and it's always a challenge to keep up, but thanks for flagging that one.
0: All right. Uh, this is a question that comes from our, uh, Chad newsroom and, uh, We'll take we'll do this question before we hit hit a break. Uh, now, Ched received some information uh, yesterday about a party delegate who claims he has already voted in the leadership review for uh, for yourself. He received a second ballot, and there's at least a couple of reports that came in to uh, to Ched and to Global about UCP members receiving multiple ballots in the leadership review. Now, they say this is causing them to lose faith in the process. How are you responding? Well. Uh- I'm not aware of those particular complaints, but I would refer
1: them to the party. I would say that whenever I've seen uh, the administration of a mail ballot, there's always a small number of issues like this that occur. Sometimes somebody will not get a ballot. They'll call and ask for a replacement ballot, or maybe they have uh, they may not be aware of it. They've bought a new membership, and they have an old membership under a slightly different name or a different address. But uh, what I can tell you is once a, a ballot arrives— with and, they, and they're an outer envelope. There is uh, their proof of ID. It's a photocopy of, let's say, their driver's license. Then that person is indicated as having voted, and they can't vote a second time. So if they happen to somehow, let's say they've, they've, they're have operating, um, uh, they got a, a replacement ballot, uh, then that replacement ballot comes in. It does not count. It wouldn't be put in the ballot box. Right. So, But for more details, I would go to the party.
0: Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, we received uh, an email from Dave Prisco, who is the director of communications with the UCP, and uh, he said that exact scenario was posted on the uh, uh, website, uh, www.unitedconservative.ca slash SGM-2022. Now, basically, it's a, he says there's a verification process, uh, just like you explained, and there are scrutineers. And uh, and he said, we err on the side of making sure everyone gets their ballot on time since the verification process prevents somebody from voting yeah, and twice. all I can tell you is I've been out and about
1: uh, around the province and I haven't heard of this from anybody else. So yeah. I, th- I imagine, like in the past, this is a uh,
0: uh, very rare that something like this would happen and they have a process to screen against it. All right. We're going to take a break. I'm Wayne Nelson with Premier Jason Kenney. We'll be back to wrap things up in our final segment on Your Province, Your Premier. Wayne Nelson back with you as host and moderator of Your Province, Your Premier, broadcast throughout the province every Saturday morning from 10 until 11. In Calgary on 770 CHQR and in Edmonton on 630 CHED. If you have something you want to bring to the Premier's attention... Here is your opportunity to chat one-on-one. Just phone or text 403-974-8255 in Edmonton 780-496-0063 and elsewhere in the province 1-800-563-7770. All right, Margaret has been hanging on for well over 20 minutes and I think she's got a a question that would be relevant because of the time she's been on hold. Go ahead, Margaret. Uh, Margaret's calling from Drumheller. Go ahead. Uh,
4: Hello, Premier. Um, Thank you for taking the call, for doing this that you do every Saturday at well appreciated. I wanted to ask a question about, this is more on the democracy and freedoms issue but it's very important I would think for the people's representatives to be readily available to answer emails or return phone calls and things like this and yet I found it practically impossible to get answers to my questions or uh, certainly not even a phone call returned but and I've put the questions to the party as well because I've been getting all those emails, and I've asked, I'll just give you my latest one, but it's a okay, period make it, of time. Make it,
0: make it quick, Margaret, if you can.
4: Okay, it's a period of time here that I've been asking these things, so I'll give you my last question. For example, uh, during the Freedom Convoy, when Pastor Art was imprisoned, it sounds like corruption to me because he was treated like a terrible criminal, and he was actually guilty of feeding the poor, preaching, giving them hope, I guess, preaching. And yes, he spoke to the truckers. And if you listen to it, he spoke to fight for freedoms peacefully. And for this, he was thrown into prison. And uh, I'm, I've asked and asked and asked who authorized that treatment put into um, maximum security, into the mental part. They tried to break his spirit. The terrible things that were done to him, I, I saw his interview. But no one has answered my questions, and I have written many emails on this. I want to know why no uh, one has answered, and I want to know who authorized that treatment.
1: Okay, thank you, Margaret. Well, the answer is uh, the court. Uh, in this case, the Court of Queen's Bench. Uh, he That individual, as I understand it, was charged, um, uh, well, first of all, he had uh, multiple outstanding... Um, violations of court orders and of terms of release and then uh, I, I understand that he gave a speech which um, caused a prolongation of the Kootz border crossing uh, blockade uh, which was a public safety hazard, and was charged by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police for having violated the uh, Critical Infrastructure Defence Act. Uh, and then he, I believe, his lawyers made an application for him to be released on terms from the Calgary Remand Centre, but that application was denied by a court of the Queen's, by a judge of the Court of Queen's Bench. On the grounds that, uh, based on his pattern act of activity, he was very likely to reoffend. So, uh, Mark, these are not political decisions; these are judicial decisions, and we have to um, respect the independent authority of the judiciary of our courts and judges to make those calls. In terms of uh, incarceration, I don't. Uh, I think it's a urban legend that um, that individual was in a maximum security prison. People don't go to prison until they've been convicted of an offense. Uh, he has not been convicted. Uh, he would have been in the remand center, which is basically the the jail.
0: All right. Uh, Another judicial issue. This one from Les. Now that traffic court is coming back, will I be able to fight my ticket in court as I could only plead through email? I think I should behave the opportunity or it should be tossed out. I'm not quite sure what Les was saying there, but... uh, uh, Will he be able to fight his ticket in court? Let's go with that. Yes. He will. Short and sweet. All right. Back to the phones. Uh, what have we got here? Uh, Julie from Red Deer is calling in. Julie, go ahead.
6: Hi, Jason Kennedy. Thank you for taking my question. So I have asked many times, emailed you about what's going on with me. Okay. Um, the Alberta Health benefit. The thresholds need to be changed. It's been more than 10 years, okay? I have contacted the supervisor of the Alberta Health Benefit, and she says there's no way she can make exemptions for me until the thresholds need to be changed. Um, a bill needs to be passed. A little background. I have glaucoma. I've had it since I was born. I'm paying my medication out of pocket because I got rejected off of the Alberta works white plastic card um and i have a four-year-old son who has an astigmatism who may require glasses i simply cannot afford that out of my own pocket i have bipolar depression i'm paying that medication out of my own pocket so i'm taking this money is coming from me taking care of my son so what i'm and what i'm trying to explain to you is that all i need is a little bit of help from the government Okay everything's going up in price you guys expect a single mom with a child I did the calculations twenty six thousand dollars a year that's twelve fifteen an hours that's that's under minimum wage. everything's going up in price. Why isn't anything being done about it?
1: okay uh, thank you Julie uh, and I'm sorry if I, if I haven't responded to your emails I just so everybody knows I, we do get about a thousand a day in my office and I just not possible for me personally to respond to everyone. Uh, I, I just don't have enough hours in the day. I'm just, I, and I uh, understand the concern, the trouble you're going through here uh, for people who are not aware. The uh, Alberta uh, adult health benefit is there for folks who have left a age or income support, uh, but they're still lower income, have a lower income and they need some support uh, in terms of um, health benefits. And as you mentioned, a parent with one child um the cap to receive the benefit is twenty six thousand um, dollars, and really, I, I believe Alberta is is just about the only province with it with a benefit like that that applies to people who are not on income support. Uh, so we already have, a, a, a relative to the rest of Canada, a fairly a generous approach, um, and uh, it's it's there to support people who are not on on for supplementary benefits. Uh, but of course, your basic health care is covered by Medicare. Um, but but thank you for raising that Julie it's uh, one of many issues I need to be aware of and, uh, and uh,
0: be mindful of it for the future. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Kenny, one more question before we have to wrap up the show and this was uh, a text message that came in when does the province plan to collect our own taxes and form our own provincial police force? Well, on the first point, uh, I don't think collecting our own taxes makes,
1: much sense for Albertans unless the feds let us collect federal income tax at the same time. Right. Because if we uh, pulled a Quebec right now and just set up an Alberta revenue agency, it would cost us a couple hundred million dollars a year. And all it would, the only impact is that um, we would uh, be collecting Alberta income tax, meaning people would have to fill out a second tax return, keep a separate second set of records. This would be Uh, Very profitable for tax lawyers and accountants, but a very big nuisance for most people having to fill up both a federal and a provincial form. The federal conservatives promised in the last election to give Quebec... Revenue Quebec, the ability to collect federal income tax and then have one unitary form collected by the provincial agency. If we see a future federal government allow that, we will get the same right and implement it here. So Alberta will create a revenue agency and then we can remit federal tax revenues. Uh, for income tax to the feds. All right. On the second issue, um, we are in deep consultations with municipalities, First Nations, and the general public on the big report on a prospective Alberta Provincial Police Force. I personally very much support the idea for reasons I've, I've uh, articulated. And I do note that an all-party panel of the B.C. legislature just voted in favor of the idea of ending the RCMP contract and coming to a B.C. provincial police force. So I think there's growing momentum in that direction
0: across the country. Premier Kennedy, thanks for joining us again today. Uh, thank you, Wayne. We'll do this again next Saturday morning at this same time. I am Wayne Nelson, and you've been listening to Your Province, Your Premier.